right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. You don't got time for that. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hola, me llamo Derek. Why why are you the way that you are? Like wait, why? What is the reasoning for this for this for this? LS Nick Springer. That's not even Como right, está? I don't think. Como esta? That's not even right. Estás? Como estas? That's not even right. Dude. Listen, I had to drop out of Spanish 212 at KU. Okay. <laughs> so if you're gonna do this the whole show, we're gonna have problems. All right. All right. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is uh, RCST. Thanks for joining us today <laughs> on the show. Uh, it'll be a fun one. NBA drafts later tonight, so we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. We'll talk a little about the prospects for Grady Dick and, and Jalen Wilson on today's show. We're going to be joined by Shreyas Lada of the Kansas City Star at 340 here today. we got more of those uh, NBA draft profiles. So we're going to learn about some even more players. Jayhawk Rewind talking about the Duke game today. Um, we're going to play another game and be a draft prospect or blank. There was some news from the IARP about a different case, which now maybe moves us one step closer to Kansas. So plenty going on on today's edition of the show. We're going to start things off, though, talking about something that uh, we're going to talk more about with Shreyas because he wrote a really good piece in the Kansas City Star talking to Zach Clements, mom. And uh, there's some very interesting quotes in this article. I would just recommend checking out the article yourself, uh, KansasCity.com, Kansas City Star. I'm not going to give away everything in the article for that reason because you just should go read it. But uh, I I did want to talk about at least a few of these. Um, So this is uh, the reason why he transferred from his mom. He just wanted to play. He just wanted to play the maximum time. It had nothing to do with the program. It just had to do with his time on the court. He wanted to be on the floor and contribute to winning, not just in practice, but he also wanted to be in games too. That quote becomes interesting because it's like, well, then why Why, why would you come back and redshirt, right? Back? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, okay, on its face, at the time that he transferred, that quote makes a lot of sense. You had Zuby Ejiofor. You had Ernest Uday. If you were Zach Clements, you'd be lucky to be getting two minutes a game mm-hmm. at that point because you would have been behind three other centers, basically. So, yeah, I think that's pretty cut and dry. Makes sense. Oh, you want to go play? Sure, absolutely. And listen, that's kind of the underlying theme of a, a lot of reasons why guys transfer, right? You go somewhere, and maybe it doesn't quite gel for you. That school has another guy that steps in, or they have a transfer that comes in, in the case of KU with Hunter Dickinson. And all of a sudden, it's looking like, you're not going to be able to get on the floor really during games. And obviously, kids want to play. Guys want to play, right? Yeah, I, I, I think we've been pretty clear on this show. Like, you can't blame anybody for wanting to go, for wanting to be on the floor. And if, and if that's not going to happen to KU and they can find that success somewhere else, fantastic. But with the, what's come out since he's decided to come back with the idea of him possibly redshirting, and also with him coming back, I mean, even if he doesn't redshirt, what's the ceiling? on the number of minutes Zach Clements could play this season. Like, if he comes back and just is an absolute beast and just 
is so good. What's what's the ceiling on the limits? Well, that like depends how 15? much you put into uh, this quote. Zach wants to play the four. He was going off to Santa Barbara because they were going to give him his thirty minutes, like Miles Norris, who's another oh. you know big man they had. Uh, they had Yoan Treore. I guess he would be more of the five. So that depends. If Zach Clements, to your point, kills it in off season, and they're like, man, we can't redshirt this guy. We're, we have a role for him. Does he get the backup minutes at the five, and does he place him at the four? Do you play him next to Hunter Dickinson? I mean, I, does KU I, care about that quote? Does I, Bill I, Self care about that quote? My gut says no. Okay. My gut says that he does not care. No. And he's, he's thinking, okay, I, I get what's best for you, but we got to do when, what's best for the yeah, team. Say, right? When has Bill Self sort of catered to a player? Does he do that very often? Well, I mean, shoot, man. Mitch Lightfoot came in, and he profiled to be more of a power forward. But it was like, that's not how we play. You have to play center. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, when is there an example of Bill Self catering to a guy who was like, I want to play this? Right. And Bill Self was like, okay, fine. No, it's normally the other way around. Yeah. It's normally Bill Self saying, hey, you're going to play this. But I guess you could argue that it could be less about that and it's more about like, we did see starting lineups. I think Yudoka Azabuki, his true freshman season, started six games next to Landon Lucas, where we did see that. We saw starting lineups of Diedrich Lawson next to David McCormick. So if Zach was that good in the offseason, could you start Zach at the four well, and Hunter Dickinson at the five? And to be I, fair, what is the position where you don't have like a bona fide right. backup? And to be clear, it's the this four. Is, yeah, yeah. Four. This, this is just me talking hypothetically. I'm not like KJ Adams has already proven he's ahead of Zach Clements. Zach Clements is not going to start the four. Uh but let's uh, say starting he, is the wrong term. Can he play, play the, the four? Yeah, yeah. For like ten minutes a game. Yes. Is that something you think is possible? If he killed it in off season? I guess I wouldn't rule it out. Well, how would you, how would you define killed it? Like he shoots the ball well, really well. Just, yeah, like, I, mean, I guess shooting have to be there. I guess if you look at it from the perspective of him playing the fourth with Hunter Dickinson, there would be a bit of a change of pace yeah. aspect to it because it'd be like KJ is going to go in and be athletic and you know do athletic stuff and be good and all of the stuff that he does, and then all of a sudden here comes in Zach Clements who is and now you can really spread yeah. the floor one through five. I mean, so the the minutes that Hunter Dickinson is not out there. Like, the hypothetical idea of playing KJ and Clements next to each other is that KJ can play the four defensively, KJ can play the five offensively. Clements can play the five defensively, the four offensively, the spacing, right? Or, or with Hunter Dickinson, you could have two big men who could shoot. Um, and again, this is probably getting our cart ahead of the horse because Parker Brown might be in front of him. He might just redshirt. KJ Adams is going to start, all that stuff. Yeah. But I guess, just, I guess in one way, the idea he wants to play the four does give him more options let me to play. Prior to today, mm -hmm. had you ever sat back, leaned back in your rocket chair on your front porch, and decided, you know what, I'm going to ponder the idea of Zach Clements at the four? <laughs> that, is that, that mind ever, that thought ever cross your mind? No, I mean, unless, again, like if, if Zach and KJ are in at the same time, does it really matter? Like, which one's labeled the four and which is the five? Because no, realistically, I mean, Zach on, in yeah. that offense is the four with his ability to shoot the three. No, that's um, so you just have your but one. To your you just, point. So you just have your one, your two, your yeah. three, and then KJ's four and a half, and Zach Clements right, four. And right, half. exactly, exactly. Nobody it, says it has inverted. to be five. No, exactly. See, who, who was the person that yeah. decided that that was going to be how we were going to count yeah. the position? No, just create a new position. He's the four center. He's the six. Yeah, he's, he's the, the seven. He's the sent forward. He's the twenty-three. What, right. Who, who decided? <laughs> no. Who was it yeah. that said, "Oh, we're going to do, we're going to be boring and do one, two, three, four, five. 
Who who was that? Mm-hmm. I'd like to have a conversation with him. Was that James Naismith? Yeah. Did James Naismith do that? No, I don't, so. so. I don't think he even knew what positions were. It's just like just five <laughs> guys go on there, you know, put it in the See, bucket. So then who was it? I want to get to the bottom of this. That's a good question. Um, but like also Bill Self said it is his recent press conference, like it is a tough fit for Zach because we play four guards around the big man. So that kind of implies that, yeah, that's not really going to be in discussion for him, that he is going to be more of the five, and that's not really going to be as much of an option um, for KU. Now, here was the quote directly from his mom on why he did come back. He just thought about the level of competition. He thought maybe he would want to stay in the Big 12 and that he's fit for it. It all came down to, hey, if I can work this hard on the offseason, I can go back and work this hard just as much. Okay, so I read that as Zach Clements realized what conference UC Santa Barbara's in. Do you think he knew at first? (laughs) And he realized that it's in a crap conference. Any chance that he was like, oh, West Coast, Pac-12. Let's go, baby. (laughs) And he's like, wait, big glass. (laughs) What's that? Uh, It's not the Big 12. Yeah. Okay, but in all seriousness, like this this reads to me as like Zach Clements was like, wait a second. I'm a lot better than these guys. Like, no offense to the UC Santa Barbara's of the world, but I'm Zach Clements. I'm better. I can go back to KU. That's kind of how I read it. There's that. a quote from Clements at the end of this article talking about how he was like, you know, I I was the guy in my class of 2021. I was the number one recruit coming into Kansas. Like, I want to show I can be that guy. Doesn't this all go back in line with, you know, when we were kind of estimating, well, why would he do this? I We kind of threw out the idea of, you know, you, you view yourself to be this thing, which is this top 50 recruit, this player who eventually is going to be bound for the NBA. You're yes. at Kansas. And then all of a sudden you transfer and you're expecting that same type of red carpet treatment to be rolled out for you that all these schools, that all these blue bloods, all these high-ranking power five. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're telling me UC Santa Barbara is not a blue blood? Uh, they do call it the Kentucky of uh, Southern California. The that's Kentucky for sure. The of, Kentucky of, of what? Of the Big West? Yeah, the Kentucky of the Big West, baby. They're just churning people out. So, I mean, uh, but you don't get that treatment. And and you start to see schools like UCSB to where, yeah, they've had some success and they made the occasional tournament. But it's not like people who are going to UCSB, and I guess, you know, shout out Gabe Vincent, I guess, for, for what he's been able to do. He went to UCSB? But, yeah, he did. Wow, I didn't know that. It's powerhouse, right? See, Kentucky well, and the Southern California. Yeah, um, but it's not like that's a school that is an NBA factory where when you're thinking, hey, my best offer and this is where I'm going to go to school is UCSB. Like when you go there, the expectation probably isn't I'm going to be an NBA player. Like it's no. going to be hard. It's an uphill yeah. battle to make the NBA from a UCSB. That's why Gabe Vincent was undrafted. That's why <laughs> you don't hear a lot of guys in that situation. It doesn't mean it can't happen. It's just a harder uphill climb. And so you get that realization and I think that's what this comes down to, this idea of almost being humbled. Like, I, I think that kind of theory that we lobbed out about Like, entering the transfer portal and being yeah. like... It was a humbling oh, experience. I am hot stuff. Yes. And then UC Santa Barbara calls. Right. And Cal Poly calls. And you're like, okay, and those are cool to have, but when is the big offer coming? <laughs> and it's like, it never comes. And you start to get to a point where you're just like, okay... Maybe I should re. Maybe instead of me being like, "Hey, where can I go next year? Play thirty minutes per game, and then go to the NBA draft." It becomes the realization of like, "Oh, maybe I'm not that close to the NBA. Maybe I do need to be patient. Maybe I do need another two or three years before I can get to that ultimate destination. And if I'm going to need those multiple years, am I going to be better playing thirty minutes per game at UCSB, or am I going to be better, you know, iron sharpening iron in the Big Twelve and, and practicing against Hunter Dickinson and possibly get an opportunity to where if I can prove myself at this level in the Big Twelve and at Kansas, 
then I'm going to be on a bigger stage. I'm going to get more hype around me to where that goal is going to be easier to be realized. Do you think there's any Cal Poly fans listening that are like, hey, don't talk bad about Cal Poly. Listen, I'm sure Cal Poly is great. I've never, mm-hmm. I've never even been to California, so I probably shouldn't even be saying baseball, anything baby. about you know, Cal Poly or whoever. Yeah, you're not allowed to talk about California. Because I've never been. Mm-hmm. I've never been. I'm sure it's great. I'm sure it's fantastic. Weather's great. I don't know. How about this comment, too, on the pros of redshirting? He, obviously Zach Clemens, thought about how he never got to redshirt. He never got the extra year of eligibility like a lot of guys have that are in the basketball world. He thought having an extra year of eligibility by redshirting, and then he wouldn't lose his transfer portal status. Okay. Does that not imply the funny scenario that we brought up? A couple things to break down here. Yeah. I'm confused by the, the thought process of that red shirt and gives you an extra year of eligibility. It doesn't. You get the same number of years of eligibility. Well, no, it I, gives you an extra year of not playing. I think what he means is this. Obviously, with Clemens, he came in after the year after the COVID year, so he didn't get the COVID year. A lot of guys he played with, whether ah, think about okay. it, Kim Martin so that's did what he, red that's shirt. What, that's what they mean. Yeah, yeah. I think he just basically means like he he got to play around a lot of people, or he got to see like Mitch Lightfoot, for instance. Like Mitch Lightfoot, yeah, come back for his eighth year, yeah. exactly. And yeah. he got the extra year, twentieth year, to where you're more of yeah. a man. You're came more back built, for like right? his fiftieth year. Yeah. Oh yeah, strong. yeah. He came back for like his seventieth year. Yeah. <laughs> you're more built. You're ready for the collegiate game, and so he he don't. I don't think had that opportunity yet to where he's basically saying like, oh, I can see the advantage of that for some of these other players. But he doesn't get an extra year of eligibility. Yeah, he, I mean, he does. Well, not, not no, a year of playing. No, it's the same number of years of playing. But you, you have to understand that being a redshirt junior, you're going to have another year of experience. You're going to have another year of strength. Yeah, I get all enough, that. Right? Yeah, no, it's, yeah, I understand all it's, that. It's basically another year of growing your body, essentially is the way of looking sure. at it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but okay, back to the last wait, part I, of that. I know, yeah, I know you wanted to get to the last part. I can go back. Oh, wait, not that part. I'm sorry. Um, and then he wouldn't lose his transfer portal yeah, status. Yeah, and then he wouldn't lose his transfer portal status. That goes back in line with the funny scenario we brought up about of him coming back and transfer. He still has his free transfer. And so, like, if you're Bill See, South, that's dumb. I think they should make the rule to where if you enter the portal, regardless of what you do, <laughs> you're done. That's it. That's your one free. Well, because if you're Bill South, you're like, well, wait, if you were going to leave at the end of the year, I, I don't know, maybe having that one extra practice body is that valuable. But at that point, you would just rather not use that scholarship on that season, right? Yes, 100%. Given all the IARP crap, mm-hmm. yeah, you'd rather just say, sorry, Zach, yeah. you can be a walk-on or you can be whatever you want. I don't know. But yeah, no, that's stupid. Okay, if you enter the portal, that should count. Even if you come back to the original school, that should count. Or in this case, he literally committed to a new school and then came back. So he's technically transferred twice. It almost he transferred makes it, away and he transferred back. It almost makes it seem like this is a showcase redshirt season, does it not? It's like, like what is that even like? How good of how good of practices can you have? Oh yeah, make other schools be like NBA oh. scouts at KU's practice. There actually are. They actually do go to practices. Like they get yeah. practice. It's factual. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that honestly. <laughs> yeah, they, get they to just see let guys time. in. NBA scouts. Okay, not just random. We're gonna people. say we're NBA scouts, and they're gonna let us in. <laughs> okay. Right. Sure. That will work. Mm-hmm. There's. I see I can no put flaws. like a fake mustache on. Some I sunglasses. see absolutely no flaws in that plan. <laughs> We just throw on some, you know, Oklahoma City Thunder gear, stroll up, they're like, hey, we're the Oklahoma City Thunder Scouts. And they'll be like, all right, cool. <laughs> Boom. I feel like there's a bigger vetting process than that. I don't know. Maybe not. We just have to come up with some good scout names. What's a good scout name? Bob Dunkus. 
<laughs> Could you see that being a scout? Is I like that- honestly. I think Bob is a good scout name. Mm-hmm. Honestly, anybody who's named Bob is probably a good scout. Yeah. <laughs> so Bob, so you're Bob, mm-hmm. and I'll be. Oh, I, I, you know what's another good scout name? Mm. Jerry. Yeah, that is a good. Yeah. So you're Bob. I'm Jerry. Boom. There you go. Two and two Oklahoma City Thunder scouts. <laughs> we'll have. We'll dude. We'll have so many. We'll have so much info, inside info on KU basketball. That nobody else will have. It's great. Yeah. It's incredible. And then we wouldn't get allowed to be at any other like media things ever. <laughs> We'd get banned. Well, that's why we just change our names. But eventually they would realize that we were them when we talk about it on air. And right uh, now we're, we're giving away our, uh, you know. Point. Okay, that's true. We have to say, okay. Wink, we're not, wink, we're not doing this. We're not Bob and Obviously. Jerry. Because we can't. So now if they ask us. Wait a second. Are you that guy that's going to be Jerry? Of course like, not. No. Jerry? I don't know who Jerry is. My name is Mark. From Tom and Jerry? That exactly. Jerry? What are you yes. talking about? Yeah. Okay. But anyway, that, that would be a very funny scenario if that uh, ended up happening. Um, the last comment here was was also on, on him redshirting. Again, there's even more quotes, even more stuff in here, even more writing from, from Shreyas that I would recommend checking out in the Kansas City Star. Uh, he thought, you know what, I can do this. I'm going to redshirt, get stronger, get better, and learn to critique my shot. It was hard not being an impact player this year, but sometimes you've got to uh, set the pride aside. So is the redshirt thing, like, done deal? Do we know for sure? It sounds like that's the plan. Is there, like, a deadline where you have but to that's say, the thing, like, I'm going to redshirt? Yeah, it's it's not like the transfer portal where, well, there, there is a certain date, but it's not like the transfer portal where it's during the offseason. Like, KU... Doesn't have to say that he red red shirts until like what the end of the season basically. Well, I guess technically at the beginning play, of the year. Yeah, I mean technically you you I'm pretty sure you apply for the red shirt after the season ends because you send it off as like see he didn't play right yeah or like in football you can play four games yeah, I, I think you might be able to play in a couple in basketball I I don't know how that works because football you can play in like the four games and then afterwards at the end when it's like okay he only played four so when we when we say. A player is burning their red shirt, like when Jalen Daniels did it, when Ochak Baji did it. Yeah. It's not that they're actually like taking off a red shirt or burning it, or it's not that they're actually like calling just, the NCAA and being like, hey, we need to pull the red shirt. It's just it's they're just not they're going not, to apply for it at the end of the year. They're not eligible right? to get it exactly, anymore. Exactly. Because at the end they of the either, year. whatever. Yeah. So, but because your drop dead date for that of deciding you'd want to do that so that you don't play him too much at the beginning, it would be by season opening, which means that. Everybody has the plan, and I would expect it to happen. I'm not saying that this is some 50-50 coin flip. Like, I'd probably guess right now there's an 80 to 90% chance, maybe even higher, that he ends up redshirt because that's what you're hearing from Bill Self. That's what you're from, hearing from the coaching staff. That's what you're hearing from Zach Clements. That's what you're hearing from Zach Clements' parents. But going back to the idea, if Zach Clements does take that step forward into being a guy who's a former top 50 recruit in year three, uh, this was a realization process for him. He works his butt off over the offseason, and all of a sudden something clicks in his game. I mean, let's not forget, he was headed into the summer last year. Uh, most people were thinking he was going to be the starting center, and that, that didn't come to fruition. But if that skill, that talent comes together, and you're like, man, we could play this guy some at the four, we could play this guy some at the five, he's ahead of Parker Brown, I know that might upset like this or that, and again, I'm not saying this is a likely scenario, but then in that situation, if he is that good, you probably get to a point where it's like, well, we are trying to win a title this year. Shouldn't we just go with the guys who are going to help us the most? What you're forgetting is that Parker Brown is athletic as hell. Yeah, that's what Kevin McCuller said today. Yes. And we heard uh, Bill uh, Self say he's more athletic than Chris, Christian Brown. Yes. Which, which I, I still don't I, know if I buy. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm confused. Does being taller count to being more athletic? That's a good question. That's a good question. Because he is Maybe taller. it does. Like, but you're six four and I'm five nine ish. Mm-hmm. 
Does that mean you're automatically more athletic than me? I mean, if we're going by that notion, I got a big leg up on you. But I don't think it should, right? Like Taco, I don't think it should either. Taco falls seven six. He's I would, not more athletic. Yeah, he's not than, like shifty or anything. You know, than right? a quick guard. Yeah, I don't think it should. Which means, but that that's what's funny. So that about makes it, all. it even more crazy. That means if, he's like super athletic. Because Christian Brown is seen as like a good athlete. If Parker Brown is two or three inches taller than Christian Brown, and he's more, and athletic, he's a better athlete. Then why is he? Why not is he as, not in the NBA? Yeah. Why is he? Why is he not as good? Yeah. <laughs> so maybe Christian Parker Brown. What hypothetically, if Parker Brown was as good as Christian Brown, but a better athlete, would he start ahead of Hunter Dickinson? There's a question for you. No. But Hunter Dickinson was the number one transfer portal target in the entire country. But if Parker Brown was... 7-1. No, no, no. Averaging but 20 points a game no, in the last I, two I seasons. No, but I guess that's the question. An All-American. If Parker Brown was as good as Christian Brown, but taller, no. would he be that good, too? No. Why not? Dude, Christian Hunter Brown Dickinson was, was an All-American. He's been All-American two and years Christian Brown was a first-round pick who, if Ochak Baji wasn't on the team, probably would have been an All-American, too, because he would have had more production. But right? he wasn't. Hunter Dickinson He's is. darn close. He was an All-Big 12 player. Parker Brown is not even getting close to being an all-big all player. All right, so Christian Brown, but taller, is and more athletic, is not as good as Hunter Dickinson to you. No. I disagree. I, how? He has more wing skills. He has more shooting skills. He Well, maybe not more. Dickinson's a good enough shooter. Exactly. Exactly. No. Mm. I'm not, I don't care what you say. You're wrong. Mm, I think you're wrong. This is the case of <laughs> it just doesn't matter what you tell me. You're wrong. Sorry. I don't know what else to tell you, right. other than you're just wrong. That's fine. Uh, I mean, dude, you're wrong a lot. Tayama, Nick really wrong on this. Mayamo, one. Derek Johnson. I mean, that's uh, saying something. We'll you're wrong with, uh, a lot, and now you're even more wrong here. Shrey Zlata of the Kansas City Star. He joins us in 15 minutes. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. On it, on it. Welcome back in. Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. And welcome now by Shrey Zlata of the Kansas City Star. You'll be able to... You know, track all the draft stuff in, in terms of the local guys with Grady Dick, Jalen Wilson, through Shreyas' coverage in the Kansas City Star. Uh, I, I want to get to some draft stuff in a bit. I do want to want to start with this story you just wrote about Zach Clements, though, in uh, speaking with the Kansas City Star and, and getting a chance to talk to, uh, uh, I don't know, is, is Dusty his mom or his dad? I guess I should probably ask that. Mom, mom. Okay, okay. His mom. I just realized when I was reading the quotes and it was like, Dusty told, and I was like, wait a minute, I have a friend whose name is Dusty and he's a, a man, but also that could be, okay, so anyway, so we figured that out. Okay, that is question one. You passed. Good job, Shreyas. Um, so, uh, very interesting comments, I think, from his mother in regards to why he came back, what he's hoping to accomplish, all that sort of stuff. I, I think what caught me the most is maybe the quote about in redshirting and saying that he thought having an extra year of eligibility by redshirting and then he wouldn't lose his transfer portal status. Um, I've kind of maintained this whole time that it would be very funny if Zach Clements came in redshirted for a year and then ended up just transferring next offseason. So like that, that actually is like a real possibility here. Yeah. I mean, I asked her about it and she was like, we're not ruling that out, but obviously, you know, kind of ran it back a little bit and she reiterated, you know, we're not looking to leave Kansas, but just kind of reading in between the lines and then talking to her about it. I mean, he wants to play the four. Yeah. That was in the other big piece. System, he's, yeah. In self system, he's a five. I feel like it's an interesting thing because, you know, self talked about it at the presser where he said, and he admitted to not using Zach the right way, you know, the, the, the strengths that he has on the court and stuff like that. 
So I think this year is a year where you know, it gives them a chance to really get big, better, bigger, stronger, and then they're going to meet with self at the end of the year and figure out what's next. Um, but I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if, if the transfer portal becomes a real possibility. I mean, you get a chance to, to practice against KJ and Hunter Dickinson, two really good bigs. And, you know, um, depending on how much his development is, maybe that leads to real minutes in his, uh, I guess, return of his junior year almost. <laughs> so Derek and I had kind of discussed this idea of Hunter Dickinson leaves. And if you're Zach Clements and you're back, it could be you and KJ, Zach Clements and KJ at the four and five spots. I guess with Zach Clements wanting to play the four, is it crazy to think you put KJ back at the five again and just have Zach Clements play the four, however that would work? I think that would be a little messy because it's clear. I mean, KJ said he wants to play whatever coach wants him to play. but well, I guess technically, clear, couldn't you just tell it. both, like, they're the four, but don't tell that to the other guy, you know? <laughs> like, does it matter? Yes, yeah. <laughs> You could, you could. I mean, it, I think it'd be a little messy. I'm, I'm curious to see what happens with KJ because, you know, if this shooting thing is for real, I think he could be on some draft boards by the end of the year. You know, if he puts up the numbers he did last year with a real shot, maybe that opens up the rotation even more. If Hunter Dickinson leaves and KJ goes to the draft, same thing. Um, you know, maybe that gives Zach a real chance. But I just feel like with the way the roster's set up and the way that his skill set fits, and doesn't really fit with self-system. You know, if he's going to play the four, he's got to hit threes at a really high clip. And his mom talked about it. You know, he's trying to get better at critiquing his own shot and just working on things that will make him stronger, bigger, you know, better. And I think he will be better, you know, after a year of playing against Hunter Dickinson and KJ Adams at practice. I don't know if that's good enough to start in Kansas better, but, you know, like she said, and I kind of semi-agree with this logic in the sense of if – the opportunity was there where he had all these teams and schools wanting him. She told me initially, like 27 to 29 schools reached out, which is, which is a lot. Um, you know, why wouldn't it be there next year when he still has his junior and senior year left? And technically, you know, he has a year theoretically getting better playing against some of the best uh, in college basketball, uh, which, which I understand. I mean, it slows down his process because it seems clear that he wants to play in the NBA, but he's willing to kind of, you know, slow it down and have another year or two, even if it takes a little longer to hopefully at least give him a chance to play in the NBA or overseas. Yeah, um, and uh, I don't know if that'll happen, but it'll be interesting. Well, is, is that kind of the theme of all this for you? Because that, that was kind of one of my initial reactions when he decided to come back that I almost got this sense of a guy who, you know, he's a former four-star recruit, a former top 50 recruit in the country. He goes into Kansas. It doesn't go well. And, and obviously for anybody who goes to one of these blue blood schools as, you know, one of those top rated recruits, your immediate thought is, when am I going to be in the NBA? Like, like that's the type of confidence that these kids have. And so when he does enter the transfer portal, and even though you do have all those offers you talked about, the best opportunity ends up being UCSB, where when you probably entered the portal, you were like, oh, this will just be like high school. I'll get all these power fives. I'll get all these blue bloods interested in me, and it won't be a big deal at all. Uh, to where like the theme to me becomes here almost a, a hit to his pride in that this became the realization of like, hey, maybe maybe this isn't about, oh, I'm, I'm ready to go to the NBA right away. And maybe this becomes the, the wake up moment of like, no, I, I do have to kind of be more patient with this. Yeah, no, I actually think that's what kind of what happened. I mean, I think he realized that this summer, he realized that the last couple of months, he realized that really at the end of the year that there is not going to be some quick fix thing for him to get to the NBA. I mean, even if he went to UC Santa Barbara, there's no guarantee 
he was going to put up monster numbers. You know, there's no guarantee, you know, that he would have been uh, lived up to the expectations that UC Santa Barbara clearly seemed to have. I mean, they were going to come in and they said he was going to replace Miles Norris, according to his mom. And Miles Norris is a guy that's on NBA draft boards. You know, he's like top 100 prospect. You know, maybe he's not going to pick up the draft, but he's going to get picked up, you know, as an undrafted free agent, most likely. You know, and that's, you know, UC Santa Barbara has had, uh, I think, a lot of quality talent in the last couple of years. Um, and I, that's why I was a little surprised he decided to come back because it's clear he left because of playing time and not really seeing a path to minutes with, you know, at that time, KJ, Ernest, and Zuby in the rotation, you know, because he kept on getting hurt. Um, so I was a little surprised by that. But I think for him, it's looking at holistically like, okay, I can get better against the best competition in the country in the Big 12 and, you know, get better, you know, playing on a team that's probably going to be top three, top five all time you know, during the entire season, most likely, um, and play against the best big in college basketball and Hunter Dickinson, you know. And uh, I think he looked at that and he was like, I will kind of let my, you know, put my pride aside and give myself an extra year and, um, you know, kick the can down a road a year and, and figure out what, what's next in a year. We're talking with Shreyas Lada of the Kansas City Star. You can check out his piece on Zach Clements. Also wrote a really good piece on K.J. Adams and, and speaking to him, which I kind of talked about some of the stuff with K.J. there as well. Uh, one of the other big comments of Bill Self in the press conference was, I guess when he was asked about the roster being at 11 now, was Zach Clements there? And gave uh, more of a vague, open answer in terms of he's happy with the roster, but also at the same point in time, like, they're not going to say no, essentially. Uh, what did you take from that comment? Did that make you lean one way or the other in terms of what you think, uh, in terms of adding a 12th scholarship player or sitting at 11? I feel like he feels good at the roster at this point because it's clear that he has uh, like a, a thinking of where the rotation minutes are going to go and how it could play out and stuff like that. And, and he alluded to it with Zach. He's like, you know, we felt confident he wasn't going to come in and, you know, kind of messed with what we had already kind of planned, um, which obviously, you know, he didn't rule out the possibility of adding a 12th person, but I feel like it's going to be, if a 12th player was supposed to be added, were to be added to Kansas basketball, it would have to be a, like a home run hit, you know, like a home run uh, kind of addition to the team, All, almost like a guy that was uh, a reclass prospect maybe, or uh, a grad transfer that can help them win a title this year. Um, and I don't know how many of those guys are really available at this point in time. So, you know, I think it would probably take something really they can't turn down uh, for them to add another player. Okay, so the NBA draft is tonight, and uh, obviously you'll be covering that, writing about that, chance to hear from Bill Self later tonight, all that sort of stuff. Uh, let's start with Grady Dick. What do you see the range for where he goes tonight? Um, anywhere from seven to 15, I think, uh, you know, I think I look at the two teams, the three teams I'm really looking at with where he can end up is Indiana, um, at seven, uh, Utah at nine and at 11, the magic out of those three teams, just kind of looking at their rosters and how the young you know, players are and coaching staff, et cetera. I'd really love to see him on the Magic. I think he'd be a really good addition to that team that's filled with a lot of really tall, lengthy dudes that are so great athletically. They just have a lot of shooting. Um, at Utah would be another nice pick because they have a great coach, Hardy. They have two former Jayhawks. Um, and then the Pacers are a little bit further along, I think, in their rebuild a little bit in the sense because they have Ty- Tyrese Halliburton, they have Miles Turner. Those are two good, you know, core building blocks. And Grady could come in and, and be, you know, a nice little addition as a shooter, uh, you know, 
either off the bench or, you know, a fourth, fifth starter, potentially, if depending on how he plays in camp and stuff like that. Um, so any of those places could be good landing spots for him, but I expect him to be picked before the lottery ends. Uh, Jalen Wilson is somebody who Bill Self talked about maybe even being like a late first-round pick. I'll, I'm a little skeptical on that happening, but I also didn't expect Udoka Azubuki to sneak into late first, so you never really know with some of those picks and, and what's happening there. Uh, but certainly you would think Jalen gets taken in that kind of range as well. What range are you expecting, or are there any teams that stick out for Jalen? Yeah, I think 25 to 40 is probably a good landing spot for Jalen. I think he's going to get picked by a team that's fell in love with his you know, draft workout. I mean, Bill Self said some of the teams have said he shot as well as anybody that's come, come in. And I think that was such a huge thing for Jalen to do because if he shows that he can shoot the heck out of the ball, um, you know, you already know all the positive things that you know, Jalen Wilson brings to the court, the defense, the rebounding, everything else. The one thing that was always lacking with Jalen was what is his elite skill that translates to the NBA? And if he can show that he can shoot the ball efficiently, he can bring the defense, he can you know, give a little bit of rebounding here and there, you know, there's going to be a team that likes him. I'm sure a contender like maybe Golden State, maybe Boston, maybe Miami, that said, hey, we could get him as a 3 and D guy. He can replace one of the guys that you know is leaving free agency. Maybe Denver picks him up because Bruce Brown is gone. Who knows? You know? Yeah. By the way, I'm I'm looking at Grady Dick's fit right now. Have you seen his uh, suit? What he will be wearing to the draft today? I did. I, I thought it was interesting. <laughs> I was like, honestly, it's a, a very <laughs> Grady Dick fit. To be you honest call that a suit? <laughs> Would you call that a suit? <laughs> it's uh, I, it's almost pajamas. Yes. I'm pretty sure my grandpa has that fit. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. I guess. You know, I thought it was a little surprised, but I mean. Grady's authentically himself, you know, and, you know, once he wants something, he gets it. So That's true. At this point, you know, he does what he wants, and I respect that. Yeah, <laughs> he can pull off whatever he wants, and he's going to be a multimillionaire, so, uh, you know, bleep you money kind of thing. Um, now, obviously, you mentioned several teams uh, with Grady Dick and, and stuff about that would make sense. So for either of them, either Jalen or Grady, um, if you want to do both, that's fine, too. Is there one team, though, that you're just like, oh, I think that would be an absolute perfect fit or that like I think would work best for either one of those guys? Yeah, um, honestly, I'd really love Grady to end up in Orlando. I think he'd be a really cool addition to that team full of young stars and young players. Um, it'll give him a chance to develop alongside a lot of guys that are kind of, you know, right around the same age as him, within that same age group. You know, most of them are not over 25, 26, and they're contributing. Um, and I think it'll give him a chance to kind of figure out his skills um, besides what he can add just on the shooting realm in the NBA, which I think is huge. And there isn't some pressure for him to come out and produce uh, right away, I think. You know, if he'd been picked later in the lottery, maybe like by the Raptors or something like that, um, you know, I'm sure there's expectations that he can come in and immediately contribute, which I think you can, but... I think the big development with Grady has always been what can he offer you on the court? Can he be, you know, a second, third, fourth option uh, on offense eventually? You know, I, can he be, you know, a secondary ball handler uh, when the point guard isn't on the court? Um, and I think a lot of those skills he can develop on a team like Orlando that is still figuring some things out and still a little bit ways off, but has the talent and just trying to figure out that continuity in the mesh. Um, with Jalen, honestly, I, you know, I don't know if there's a, a set team per se, but if any contending team picks up Jalen, I think that's a big thing. Um, he's one of those guys that, you know, you just want to have at the end of the bench, which, you know, you can come in and, and he can play garbage time minutes a little bit early on, but eventually maybe you could develop as the eighth, ninth man, um, like Christian 
did and, and uh, you know, some of these other guys did from Kansas previously. I mean, I think the big thing is just going to a team where there are complementary players around him that are better than him um, and he can learn from and, you know, he can figure out his role even if it takes time, even if that means not playing uh, real minutes for the first 50 games or whatever. Yeah, no, um, I... You know, I, I actually I am a Denver Nuggets fan and, and I think that actually makes a lot of sense. Like I mean with, with Christian Brown already there, you have kind of that ease into it. They have three picks now between twenty eight and thirty seven, right? I mean, uh I feel like, yeah, there are questions about what is gonna be that skill to your point. Like if you're a role player, do you shoot well? Do you do you hit th- right or, or do you play good defense that you have to attain? I almost feel like he could be He's he's Aaron Gordon light, and I don't say that in terms of that he's going to have Aaron Gordon's career necessarily. Like Aaron Gordon's had a very good career, but in terms of being this like bigger wing, you know, Aaron Gordon, what six foot seven, six foot eight, can dribble yeah. a little bit, not the best shooter in the world, but he's strong. If you have like a bench version of that with the Nuggets team, with you know what they have, I, I don't know. That makes sense to me. No, I I hundred percent agree. The only thing Aaron Gordon has got Jalen Wilson that Jalen Wilson doesn't have is the athleticism. That jumps yeah. out of the seats. I mean, like we said, you know, Jalen probably shot, he dumped the ball twice in his Kansas <laughs> tenure. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think he'd be a really good fit with Denver. I think, I mean, I'd love to watch it. You know, it'd be fun to watch a couple more Kansas guys on that team. All right, I got some uh, quick fire ones for you. I got some NBA draft uh, related questions with KU. Who will be KU's highest NBA draft pick in 2024? Oh, that is a good question. Okay, let me go through the roster. Um, okay, not a, not Kevin Cutler, not Hunter Dickinson. Um, okay, I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna go with Marco Jackson. Okay, I think if I if I just gave you, you can have one of Arteria Morris or Marco Jackson, whichever ends up breaking out more. I feel like that would be my answer as well. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, over under. Gosh, I, I I don't know what the line should be. Uh, Nick, what what should I do here? One and a half, what two and a half for uh, amount of NBA draft picks for KU next season. Because in theory, McCuller could be a one draft a pick. One and a half. Dickinson could be maybe Ontario and Marco. One and a half. One and a half. Okay, one and a half. What would you take? I'm gonna say over. Okay, I'm gonna say over. There we go. Uh, longer NBA career. Jalen Wilson or Kevin McCuller? I'm going to say Kevin McCuller. Mm. Better NBA career. This one's you know more open floor. Christian Brown or Grady Dick? I think Grady Dick. Um, I think Grady Dude, has Christian Brown's already got a title. How <laughs> you're saying Grady Dick's going to get more than one title? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think Grady Dick could eventually be an All Star if everything develops. I don't think Christian's ever going to be that. You know, he's going to be a quality bench player, quality role player. Um, you know, I think I think Grady just has a higher ceiling, and, you know, I trust his shooting ability. Mm-hmm. All right, well, uh, here's Shreyas Lada. While most of us here in, in Lawrence rejoice seeing Marcus Smart um, no longer on Boston, <laughs> he cries about it because he is a Celtics fan. No, <laughs> well, Shreyas, I appreciate the time, man, and uh, look forward to uh, reading all your stuff on the NBA Draft, and I appreciate it, man. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, both of you guys. That was Trace Lotta of the Kansas City Star joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Thank you to Trace for coming on the show. We uh, are one hour down 
Two to go. We got another Jayhawk football rewind. We'll get into the Duke game coming up next. We've also got another fun game later in the show. We're going to have a time capsule. Uh, we're going to be talking about this Will Wade suspension. Kansas is the last case in the IARP, what that all means. And we got some uh, more NBA draft KU content later in the show. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Four o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. And uh, we will have another game, a fun NBA draft prospect or Wimbledon men's tennis player coming up later this hour. Dude, that's going to be really <laughs> tough. Tough. I don't know any tennis players outside of like four. Novak Djokovic, Roger, Roger Federer. Federer, Rafael Nadal, uh-huh. Andy something. I can't remember his last name. <laughs> Andy Murray. Andy Murray. Or Andy Roddick. Both. Boom. There you go. <laughs> five. five. Wow. All right, uh, but uh, every Thursday we do this segment, and uh, you know originally we started doing this on Thursdays because the first game was supposed to be Thursday, and so it was like, oh, this is you know this many weeks. Yeah, out. do we need to change to Friday? Fridays. I mean, it's fine now. We've just been doing them on Thursdays. It'll be <laughs> ten weeks out tomorrow. Okay, doesn't that suck that yeah. it's not ten weeks out today? Mm-hmm. That's stupid. One day further away. That is so terrible. Next I mean, up in the series, what kind though? of tyrannical, crazy? oppressive, ridiculous administration would make it to where we have to wait a whole extra mm-hmm. 24 hours for KU football. Yeah, it's pretty rude, to be honest. I mean, it's what? like when uh, the people who were making the college football video game, they were like, it's back. And oh, all of yeah. a sudden they're like, oh, everybody's like, oh, it'll be out this <laughs> summer. And that's like, no, 2024. And it's like, what? Yeah. That's how long that day is going to feel. It's going to feel like an extra year. <laughs> um, so anyway, the, the, the next up in the series is the Duke game. To which KU entered at 3-0. They'd just beaten West Virginia and Houston after the Tennessee Tech game. Duke, if you remembered, entered in at 3-0 also. They and did. a lot of the conversation we had that week was trying to diagnose just how good is Duke. Yes. Because the because big they win had beaten nobody, was Northwestern. Right? But Northwestern ended up being right. like 2-10. Well, and at the time, Northwestern had beaten Nebraska in week one. Who also like, ended up being like 3-9. Exactly. But at the time, it was like, <laughs> oh, maybe Nebraska's a bowl team. Maybe Northwestern's a bowl team. You know, maybe Duke's solid ish yeah. right yeah. yeah and it was like this might not be a pushover game she didn't really know what it was but you also knew it was a winnable game you also knew that in the previous season yes, when the, KU was worse this was they the, almost beat them yeah this was the game that people had circled in the preseason it's like this is one KU yes. should be able to win honestly right? I think most people probably circled this as being the most winnable game besides Tennessee Tech yes 100% agree in the preseason yeah in the preseason and then obviously you go out and beat West Virginia and you beat Houston and you're feeling even better potentially but again, Duke also undefeated, so there was, you know, a Didn't little totally bit of know uh, about him. Yeah. Exactly, you weren't really there was some trepidation there, a mm-hmm. bit. for sure. Uh, it was an interesting battle of coaches coming in because you had, I know this was a lot less discussed because I think when Lance Leipold was hired, it it started to come down to the idea of it was going to be Lance Leipold or Jeff Munkin, the head coach from Army, and it was it was like that was the battle. I think a lot of people forget that. In that initial coaching, the finalists among like the four finalists, one of the other guys was Mike Elko, who was the at the time the defensive coordinator of Texas A and M, and it ended up being seemingly a Leipold versus Munkin race, and, and Leipold obviously won out to the chagrin of Kansas. Um, but at least to me, that was a very interesting storyline that Elko had now taken over at Duke, and he was in year one or year two, whatever it was, yeah. and he was trying to turn a program around as well, and that that would be a a certain measuring stick type of game for another guy who was in kind of on your coaching job to where, like, 
you know, if, if this thing didn't work for Kansas and Mike Elko turned around Duke, you were going to be kicking yourself, right, in the past. And that, that yeah. becomes, I guess, honestly, kind of an interesting point moving forward to see where, where both programs kind of go. I, I think beyond that, coming into the game, the Houston game, for me, was definitely the game beating them where it was like, okay, we can start talking about the path to a bowl game. It, it, it was the conversation of if you beat Duke, it almost is like you should make a bowl game. At that point, you'd be 4-0. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the idea that, again, you setting aside the fact that Duke had gone 3 and 0 this was the game that you felt the most confident about in the preseason so why should that not be the case now when you're undefeated and it was to be fair it ended up being a very very closely contested game pretty much throughout right i mean this was a, a pretty tight game the whole time uh and so you know it, it was an interesting battle uh, of coaches and now you get to the discussion of okay well we yeah, if you win KU should should probably be in position to make a bowl game, which is obviously not where they expected to be at that point in the season. So already you could feel that hype starting to to build. And then in the game, Dalen Daniels goes nuts, three, over 300 yards and four touchdowns. You had the Daniel high shot play that everyone now thinks of, I guess, right? So in the game, KU wins 35 27. By the way, the, the Daniel Highshaw play, is that the most memorable play of the season? Like forget forget the value of the play. I'm not know, talking maybe. about I'm not talking about like, okay, uh Iowa State like missing the, a field goal or I feel like the Kobe Bryant pick six to Sure win against West Virginia, Virginia or That's like gotta be pretty high up. Honestly, the last two point conversion against Arkansas may be most memorable. I'm just saying is that the best play, I guess, would be the way I want to put this. Was that the if you're talking about the best highlight oh, yeah. play? Like oh, the, yeah, the most, I mean, dude, breaking 17 yeah. tackles. That's probably the one. That's the best play, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Anyway, go on with what you were saying. So Sorry. you have the Daniel Highshot play. Mm -hmm. K wins the game. Jalen Daniels goes nuts. I think that really after the Duke game is the game is when Jalen Daniels enters into fringe Heisman conversation, I would say. I mean, just listen to, these, just listen to his numbers. He was 19-23, 324 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions in the game. And then he, on top of that, he ran for 83 yards and a touchdown also. So five total touchdowns. Yeah, by four touchdowns Daniels. and incompletions. All five, by the way, all five of KU's touchdowns. 80 yards on the ground, 324 through the air. So 400, and, you know, 400 yards of total offense and five mm -hmm. touchdowns for Jalen Daniels. And by the way, at this point in time, Kansas was 3-0 and against the spread, too. They were minus seven. Now, some people might have got a different line, but uh, that's what it closed at Caesars. I do remember it was the line fluctuated yeah. quite a bit. So some people lost, but that would technically make them 4-0. But yeah, how the game went, um, Kansas went up 7-0. So if you remember, Kansas actually took the opening drive down to the Duke one-yard line. Yeah. They got yeah. stuffed on fourth and goal. stuffed on fourth down, yeah. And I was like, okay, you like the aggressiveness. Not a deal you didn't score, but whatever. Uh, then you eventually go up 7-0. They match it. Then you fumble, but your defense comes up with a big stop. You punt. You get a quick play touchdown on a uh, 73 on, on the Daniel Highshaw. Daniel Highshaw. Crazy play. Yeah. play. Yep. Uh, Duke gets held to a field goal. You score again to make it 21-10. to And then Duke goes down, has a long drive. You make some big stops in the red zone to bend but not break. You're up 8 at half, 21-13 after a field goal. You get a stop so out of the locker room. You feel pretty good. Yes, you do. Yeah, honestly, that was a moment where it was like, it's only 21-13 to 13 at halftime. Like, it felt like you should almost be up more. 
especially with them getting the ball to start the second half. And, the, yeah. and you got a big stop to start the second half. Then you go down, get a touchdown. Then they punt. And you have the ball. You're up 28-13. And it feels like you're about to get to a moment where you're about to kind of uh, take control of this game. You start at your own nine-yard line. You get up to their 36-yard line. And it's like, okay, here it comes. You go for it on fourth and two, but then you get a false start. Brutal. And then you have the Jalen Daniels pooch punt. If not for that play, you might just run away with that game from there. But then after that, they score a touchdown. You respond with a touchdown. They respond with a touchdown. Then you can't close out the game. You had to punt, but then you make the big stop on downs, and you end up kneeling out the game. You finish 4-0. You win 35-27. to Yep, and remember if you remember right, again, it was uh, some the fourth down decision-making or even the third down decision-making of KU that was scrutinized a little bit, right? Uh, you had the fourth down where you it was a false start, so you couldn't go for it. You had the fourth down to start the game on the first drive that you didn't get, fourth and goal from the one that you couldn't score on. Uh, and then late in the game, so this is now the second game where you had the ball, and I remember this was a pretty big talking point for us after the game, this was the now the second game in which you your team had the ball with the lead late and the offense was unable to close it out. And that brought in the interesting discussion of the offense is the best unit on the field. That's the unit you want to try to close out games and yet now we have two cases in which the offense was unable to do that and in one game it almost came back to bite you because it went to overtime. You were still able to win the game. And then in this game against Duke, same deal. You get the ball, and I mean, what's one thing? You, what's one thing you should be practicing all the time? The four-minute offense to close out a game. You get the ball with the lead. At the time that they got the ball back, there was literally, I think, literally like three minutes left in the game, and they go three and out. Devin Neal, no gain. Jalen Daniels, no gain. Devin Neal, no gain. Zero yards. Punt. When the offense is supposed to be the best unit on the field. And I, I don't really – the thing is, is like this different, This didn't really come back to bite KU in the sense that they – did. I mean, did they end up actually losing any game where this happened? I don't think they did. Mm. But it was definitely like a cause for concern, I remember, to this stage of the season where it was like, okay, you this offense is explosive. They can score a lot. They're dynamic. And yet now they're 4-0, but in two of the – in half their games, they had the ball up late and the offense – couldn't, couldn't seal it. There's certainly times where maybe KU didn't fully finish a game. It might not have been that exact scenario. Like, if you just want to take it as opposed to what you're saying where you couldn't get the offense to, to make that final play, you could argue that, um, well, I guess technically the TCU game, I, I know that was behind as opposed to in front. Um, yeah. You could yeah. say the Baylor game, that was just not necessarily just the offense. Like, you couldn't finish that one off on defense, get the offense back the ball. Yeah. Texas Tech game, you were in it in the fourth quarter and then faded, right? So that would go up there in terms of just fading at the end. And then the Arkansas game, I guess, technically you couldn't finish. You're 100% right, though. There wasn't a game that, if you were to look at it with hindsight goggles, to be like, well, they, up they couldn't finish it, and then the yeah. other team came back and won. But yeah. there are instances of them maybe not like getting close and then maybe just not finishing in the fourth quarter or the end of the game, if that makes sense. Um, as far as the dudes list, you, you brought up Jalen Daniels. Uh, to me, this was a game like th this was maybe my biggest takeaway from the game. A lot of dudes. Yeah, there were. But my biggest takeaway was probably this was the Jalen Daniels like has arrived in the Heisman conversation. Exactly. Yeah. This, to that exactly. point, he had been what, really good. Yeah. What I mentioned earlier, this was the game mm -hmm. where afterwards he was now 
in the fringe Heisman. Yeah. Obviously, you know, when I say Heisman conversation, you, you know, it's the Heisman conversation that you can have four games into the season. Yeah, he had a 98.8 QBR. I mean, some of the passes that he made in that game specifically, though, I, the one that, that really sticks out uh, to mind was one of his touchdown passes. It, it was down the left sideline, and, and it's funny because it have sticks a great out. Touchdown to, was it Luke uh, Grimm or was it Lawrence Arnold? I mean, I there were multiple. The, no, the Lawrence Arnold one, I'm pretty sure, was the one where he threw it over the middle. And he was just, like, wide open? I think so. Maybe. Um, but, yeah, okay, I think it was the Luke Grimm one. It was, like, down the left sideline, and he just, yeah, yeah. it was a perfectly uh, placed football that only his guy could catch, made a great contested grab, and it was a touch. And it was, like, those moments where it was, like, this guy is just different. And against a Duke defense that Mike Elko, like, that's what he thrives on. Mike Elko, a defensive coordinator formerly at Texas A&M, comes over to Duke, and that ended up being like Duke's calling card last season, that they were just like a, a pretty solid defensive team a year ago, and he was able to just dice them up in every way. He had previous good games before. This added to that statistically, but it was, yeah, the moment where it's like, this guy can put you on his shoulders, and he is a real Heisman contender at this point in the season. That was my biggest takeaway. Yeah, and then I, this was also the game where I think it was officially like, Whoa, Daniel Hyshaw. Like, this dude's legit. Obviously with the play. Uh, but he got he ended up getting the same number of carries as Devin Neal in the game, I think. Uh yeah, he actually had more carries than Devin Neal. Daniel Hyshaw had ten carries, Devin Neal had nine carries in the game. So Daniel Hyshaw certainly stood out in this game as well. And yeah, I think the other big takeaway was at the time, the defense being a bend don't break defense, right? Coming out of that game, I think if you're KU and you're saying the defense is going to give up 27 points per game, that's really good. That's really, really, really good for KU. Mm-hmm. And I guess this that's something that didn't come to fruition, though. No. Right? No, because once we got to Big 12 play, a lot of games, it was like, okay, that's, you know, you're giving up a lot of yards. Just bend, but don't break. And then they would they would give up a, you know, it was like touchdown, like they Oklahoma, the yeah. Baylor game in the first they, half they and would, stuff, right? They would break, yeah. Like, at least this game, you did have a couple drives where you did bend but not break, um, and you had the big stop kind of at the end, like, that obviously wasn't something that, that you carried over to the latter half of the season. And I do wonder how much the, as much as KU's depth improved last year and, and they were a better defense last year than the year before, that still was something you were looking to add even more to, and I wonder how much that kind of contributed to it versus what we saw at the beginning part of the season, that's for sure. Um, I, I think the other, you know, at this point, like, it almost became, once you won this game, it almost would have been disappointing the at that point if you didn't make a bowl the game. The expectations you know? reset. Yeah. For this like, obviously, we would have, if, if let's say they would have lost every game from there on out, um, obviously that would have been disappointing and it would not have been a fun way to finish. I think big picture, we still would have been like, well, that sucked the way it finished. It would but have taken a while, though. It would have. Like, we would have, it would have taken like but a couple months time would have passed. after yeah. to be like, okay, yeah. But there was progress That was there. a good season. Exactly. Or maybe not good season, but there was but progress. That was there was progress, right? season. But, yeah, so so it almost felt like to that point you had raised the expectations to be like, yeah, this should be a bowl team, you know? And, and that ended up happening. So everything was all yes, good there. there was that reset of, okay, mm-hmm. we need to, this team needs to make a bowl. Now, as far as did this teach us anything for 2023? Well, you didn't talk about the fumbling. Oh, yeah, 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 I'm sorry. So Devin Neal actually lost a fumble, I'm pretty sure, in this game. Yes. And that, that had been a theme, you know, to that point. Yes. Where they weren't losing them this time, clearly, they did. yeah, clearly it should have been more of a mm-hmm. red flag. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think maybe uh, if you want to add another like hindsight twenty twenty goggle thing, and this would go back in line with the inability to close. Uh, I think a reason why that partially happened was that as good as Kansas was 
with the the speed option game and the triple option, whatever you want to call it, um, the quarterback runs and everything, they weren't a great just like standard run team. Like they weren't just a great like lineup in I formation and just pounded up the middle for four yards at a time. Yeah. They didn't get a ton of surge there. Most of their big runs came on those either on trick plays or plays where the defense had to account for the quarterback, too, in the run game, like a read option or the, uh, the triple option that made it more difficult to defend. And that's part of their offense, and, and I'm not saying that that necessarily is like, I don't know, like it, it's going to take time, obviously, but uh, that's part of closing out a game. If you can just line up in the I formation and run for four yards when the defense is expecting it, that's going to make it. Now, a lot of teams can't do that, so it's it's very hard to, to get to that point. Um, but I think that goes in line too with, you know, like the fourth down, missing the fourth down, like being able to convert maybe on some of these shorter downs or, or some of these key downs in games where you would just be able to like, think back to the Arkansas game, for instance, Yeah. in the bowl game, eventually it got to overtime and it was like, I don't think Kansas is going to stop Arkansas because Arkansas is just running fullback or, or not fullback halfback <laughs> gut where they're just running straight up the gut and it's like seven yards seven yards 12 yards touchdown meanwhile Kansas would run that and be like one yard and then it'd be like all right let's see what Jalen Daniels can do to bail him out and it's like oh he did bail him out yeah but it was just it was a lot harder for them to get what they wanted than what Arkansas did so that can be something that I think if you're looking into 2023 can you improve on the basic stuff can you not only be good at the other stuff and the harder stuff but if you can instead of getting maybe a two-yard run here there on the basic stuff, getting more four-yard runs, then all of a sudden it raised your level even more from what was already a really good offense. Uh, but I think what else it taught me for 2023 is the value of winning a like one of your bigger non-con games and how it can lead to a boost of momentum. And I look to the Illinois game for that, like how important that game is going to be for KU to boosting their momentum and trying to make it to a bowl game and having that positive uh, nature going into the conference play. But I think more than anything... I think we don't talk enough about the Duke game and how much of a barometer it was for how good this Kansas team can be when Jalen Daniels is healthy. Because we we obviously know, oh, they, they were 5-0 with Jalen Daniels healthy, and you know they almost beat TCU, and they had college game day and all this stuff. And then they obviously you know lose a lot of these games. They finish 6-6, six and six, and it's like, well, even if Jalen was healthy, how many of those games that they ended up losing do they actually win? Because Jason Bean played pretty well in a lot of them, and yada, 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 to where it's, it's almost like, we, we forgot how impactful Jalen was to winning because here's why I, I mentioned this. Okay. Duke ended up going nine and four last season. Yep. And you. Did they win their bowl game? They did, um, which I'll bring up that in a second because I think that's also a very important note. Um, but you won that game. You beat a bowl team who went nine and four by eight points in a game that, if you remember afterwards, and this goes back to the, the halftime score, we came into the studio and we're like, I feel like Kansas won that game by 20 points. Like they, they like just they seemed were the like the much team. better team, right? Yes. Yes. And that there was just a few things, the fourth down stop and and whatever, that held it for me and at least a double-digit score win. So you you were clearly the better team, is, is basically what I'm saying, over a 9-4 and four team from the ACC. And yeah, ACC, not as difficult, uh, especially last year as, say, the Big 12, right? That maybe equates to being more of a 7-5 a and five team in the Big 12 as opposed to an 8-4 and four in the, big, in the uh, ACC. But the point is, you proved that with a healthy Jalen Daniels, you yep. are on that tier of team. Oh, yeah. So as we look to this year and being like, how many wins can they have? I looked to that game right there, right? And then here's the other part of it. You mentioned the bowl game. Duke beat UCF in the bowl oh, game. Oh, that's right. That's UCF right. joining the Big 12. Yeah. Not only did Duke beat UCF in the bowl game, they dominated them. It was 31 to 13. Not even a game. 
Yeah. And so if you're talking, again, like it's not all congruent. I don't know how good UCF is going to be this year, if they're going to be better or worse than they were a season ago. But point being, you controlled the game against a 9-4 and four Duke team who controlled the game against UCF. I know everything's not linear. It is all about matchups, and we see all the time one team beat another, and then that team go back and beat the other. But point being, if we view UCF as a middle-of-the-pack to upper half Big 12 team, which if you look at a lot of the preseason polls, you look at the ESPN SP Plus, that's where they're being viewed as. Then shouldn't we have Kansas on par, if not better than those schools, with a healthy Jalen Daniels? That's what it taught me for this year. And that, going back to the idea of what would you take for the Kansas over under 6.5 win total, that right there would make me feel even better about taking the over. Yeah, I mean, I think you pretty much hit on the head with a lot of that stuff, where... Duke, we didn't know what they were. They ended up being a pretty yeah. good team. Like, like that said. was probably your best win, right? At the end of the day? Um, no. There was, there's got to be a better win than Duke. I think that was their best strength win. I mean, Oklahoma State what did, ended what up— What did Houston end up doing? They even make a bowl game? They had to have made a bowl game, right? They definitely, they definitely did, I think. Houston was fifth in the American Athletic Conference. They went 8-5 and five with their bowl game. That was the best I, win. I'm not. I. I can't. It just sounds weird, I right? Can't, I can't say it. But but no, I think I think that's the point. A lot of I think KU fans. You, that game was so not so early in the season, but it was early enough in the season. And you don't beating Duke in football. It's never going to be a super memorable win, right? Like the Oklahoma State game will be more memorable. It got you to a bowl game. It's a program yes. you haven't beaten in a while. Duke was probably your best win, and what that actually I, represented a State? good win. They didn't make a bowl game. So just, dude, I, I don't know. Campbell, it's very interesting. Matt Campbell sucks. <laughs> that dude is terrible. Mm. All right. Well, uh, once we get into the just calling other coaches terrible, I think we we probably hit the <laughs> hit the point of uh, ending the segment here. All right. Um, <laughs> that is our Jayhawk rewind for the week with the uh, Duke game with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on a KLWN. Depend on it. Half past the hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Bit of an audible here. We uh, are going to get to our NBA draft time capsule in our next segment. We're going to actually do our NBA draft prospect or Wimbledon men's tennis player right now. Uh, before we do that, though, we, that? we've been playing these NBA draft profiles. Oh, yeah. That's and right. uh, I'll give you a hint. The, the guy who's going to go on our next NBA draft profile, he will not be on this. So you don't have to worry about, or at least I don't have to worry about, um, you know, you knowing this next player on the list just because we're, we're going to play it right now. So who, I can promise you who, that. Which one do you want? Who, who do you got? I don't know. Surprise me. Surprise I think we have you? three left, right? We do have, we do have three left. Okay. I'm uh, opening this one right now. Hang on. Okay. So uh, these are our NBA draft profiles. We've been telling you about players that you might not know about. You might know about some of the top players in the draft. You might know about the Kansas guys, the Big 12 guys, but you might not know about some of these guys. We send it back to Joel Becker to learn more. Jamendel McGrindle. Standing at six foot eight, Jamendel McGrindle weighs just 190 pounds, but is built in such a way that he is flattened out to where he is 12 feet across with his arms spread out. Though McGrindle fails to have many redeeming qualities about his basketball game, he is arguably the greatest screen setter of all time. It's nearly impossible to get by him in a matter of a few seconds and when paired with a good off-dribble shooter, elevates his teammates' game to unthinkable levels. The ultimate glue guy 
McGrindle both draws many fouls from players running into him and gets his team wide open shots. If he can hold up defensively and physically from all the hits, he could be the next Draymond Green without the passing, shooting, rebounding, or defense. Look out for McGrindle to go in the 20s. That's an interesting one. Okay, so this goes back to your your theory uh, the other day, where if you just yes. had enough player links, links enough yes. players so link arms have, across yeah, the court. If yeah, have, if you have five of these guys, you could do it easily. Yeah, right? he's twelve feet across. Okay. You know, so he's basically crazy. flat Stanley. He just uh, like okay. I was about yeah. to bring it up. I was going to ask you if you remembered flat Stanley. Yes. From like uh, I remembered from In elementary school. school, and you would like take and, him and take a picture somewhere with him. Yeah, or like I remember too. what I did was I had it, and I actually I mailed him. Mm-hmm. To my cousins in Alaska, and then they take a picture of it. And, yeah. yeah. So my cousins in Alaska like took him and like did stuff with them because I was like, dude, I will be the coolest kid <laughs> if I come back and I'm like, dude, my flat Stanley went to Alaska. What, what would you do if one do? of the other kids did that? Then I'd, Stole your I would, I would kill that flat Stanley. Wow, I'd kill him. Murder. <laughs> That's intense. Uh, but yeah, so basically he's flat Stanley. So if if somebody runs over him, which is likely because he's he's very thin. Well, here's what I have a question. Here's, they here's they my get a question. foul. Is he? I understand that he's twelve feet wide and he's yeah. big thin. So is he like stretchy though? Yeah, I think so. so. Like if you run into him, is it like a rubber band where like you, you bounce back, you bounce off of him, or like what? <laughs> That's a good like question. what happens? I don't know. I don't know. But he's so or, like, wide. Is he more squishy? Where like if you run into him, he just like engulfs you. Mm, you see what I'm saying? That's a good question. Like, what happens when you actually make contact with him? I think you don't want to know, and I think the, the basically you just <laughs> have to run around him. Which means if you have to run around a guy twelve feet, like, what if he could like? What if he could like? Literally, like quicksand or something, you run right. into him and then he just engulfs you. Would that be illegal? Would they have to make a new rule? No like quicksand. What? Is that screens. like a holding foul? Yeah. Because, like, think about it. If he runs into you and then since he's 12 feet long, he can just wrap around you. Mm-hmm. How do you get, you can't escape. Right, as long as it's just his stomach and not his arms, right? Is yeah, that okay? Yeah, you can't escape. So he's the greatest screen setter. Uh, the Warriors need to draft him because Steph Curry would get off any shot he wants with this guy setting a screen for him. Yes. So Well, genius. I do think, though, the issue you ran into, though, one final thought on this, is that if he's that wide, wouldn't he also impact your dribbler's ability to get open? <laughs> They're going to have to go a long way. Because they have to go around him, too. Well, you just have them... He would unless just have he, to set like a straight-on ball unless screen, he can right? Contort, can, like contort his body somehow. Well, if you they haven't set the screen where his back is to the dribbler. But again, the dribbler has to get to somewhere where he can shoot. Sure. Because <laughs> if know. he sets it where he's like parallel to the baseline or, or where he's perpendicular to the baseline, then he's going to be sticking out like six feet past the three-point line. <laughs> He'd get a lot of three-second calls, too. That'd be a problem. Okay, uh, we have you, you won the national championship. Congratulations. Yep. Although not the I'm AP title. Not I'm the a, AP I'm, title. I'm a beast. The, the writers do not respect you. The hard journalists well, you know do not respect Screw you. Screw the writers. Wow. Well, you went from 6-7 and seven to 13-2. and two. So now, That's now pretty good, yeah. You're preseason number I one. I got my contract extension. You did? You got your contract. Fans so are, have high expectations now. I'm making a lot of money. High expectations. You better win the conference <laughs> title at least this year. Uh, so we have 2023 NBA draft prospect or Wimbledon men's tennis player. Which Wimbledon starts in a uh, week and a half, something like that. I honestly don't know. Close enough. I honestly don't know. All right, week one. You know, it does start a week and a half. The tour hmm. de France, baby. Oh, I should have done tour de Woo! France. Well, well, we'll maybe do a game with that later. Oh, you can do that next week. Okay. Yeah, next week. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, week one. Bilal Koulibaly. So, oh, oh, is he a player or a Wimbledon? 
I guess either way, he'd be a player. But yeah, tennis player or basketball player. Yeah, basketball or tennis. First of all, I am skeptical of this game because you're going to mispronounce all the names. Probably. Uh, Sam came in yesterday. We did one of the drummers, and he was like, it's pronounced this way. And honestly, I think it actually helped you because I think if I would have pronounced it the way he said it, I, I think it would have made it more difficult. But, oh, well. Uh, but you don't know how Belial? this is pronounced either. I don't think Belial is a— Bilal, I think. Oh, Bilal. I don't think that's a name of a tennis player. It's not—I I don't know. B-I-L-A-L. I'm going, I'm going draft prospect. Yes, that is a draft prospect from nice. France. Let's go. This was your week one game. That was supposed to be your FCS game, but it feels like you had a bit of a hard time with your FCS. I didn't have a hard time with it. I mean, you didn't. You weren't super convicted, dude. I just took my time. He's supposed to be like a top fifteen pick. I had never even heard of that guy before. Okay, well, that's a problem. That's why it was supposed to be your FCS game. All right, week two. Uh, See, you're not even gonna be able to pronounce it right. Ryan Rupert, but it's R A Y A N. Could be Rayan. Oh, his first name. Yeah. Rayan. It might be Ryan. It just could be a millennial <laughs> way of spelling it. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, okay. I think the spelling of it makes me think that it's actually a, a Wimbledon guy. If he spelled it regularly, I would say basketball player, but the spelling makes me think it's... Oh, by the way, the last name is actually spell or pronounced Rupert. So he's French. Yes. I can tell you that. He is French. <laughs> I still think that if it was if his first name was spelled like it is like, Ryan, it's Ryan though. No, I think it's if pronounced it was, like no, that. No, no, no. Ryan If it was spelled Ryan, I'm saying NBA player, but the spelling makes me say Wimbledon. It is an NBA player. What? Wow! So that was a big upset for somebody early in the season. Dude, what? Why don't you just spell it R Y A N? He could sneak into the late Dude, first round. French. That's all right. Week three. Casper Rude. R-U-U-D. That's got to be a Wimbledon player. It is a Wimbledon <laughs> okay. player. That was a good okay. blowout win for you. Okay. You needed that. Bounce that back. Two one. and one. All right. I felt good about that one. All right. Week four on your conference slate. Oh, boy. Stefanos Sitsipas. <laughs> okay. Th- again, I'm, I'm 100%. This is a Wimbledon player. Let's see if I'm pronouncing this right. <laughs> Stefanos Sitsipas. Whoa! That's way different from what you said the first time. <laughs> I'm still sticking with Wimbledon. He is a tennis player. Okay. I'm assuming that's Greek. I I guess. It's T S I T S I P A S. Sitsipas. Do you think they do you think other people in foreign countries say the same thing about Mississippi? Like why is it <laughs> How many S's with, and P's do yeah, you need? Say, yeah. Why is it spelled that way? Probably. Right, week five. You're three and one. Two straight wins. Good nice. bounce back. Nice. Ben Shepard. I could just That's, be a normal guy working at the grocery store. Guy. Right. Yeah, that could just be a regular guy. So that makes me think that it's it's a basketball prospect. Why does that make you think it's a basketball prospect? Because if you're gonna be a Wimbledon player, you gotta have a funny name. <laughs> yeah, Andy Murray? Is that a funny name? <laughs> well, Funnier than answer. Ben Shepard. Wait, is that your answer? Sure. Okay. Uh, the correct answer is NBA draft prospect. Okay, so I was right. You were. There you go. So see, how can my logic be wrong if I, I got it right? I was curious, your, your logic there. It was um, right, though. He's a player from Belmont. Apparently, he's soaring up draft boards. He could be a late first, early second round pick. Huh. Uh, 4-1. Okay. On to week six. Doing well. To get Doing to the well. halfway point of the season. Yep. Holger Rune. Holger? 
that makes me think like ogre. Instead of one eye, see a cyclops? It's actually supposed to be pronounced Halger. Oh, Rune. Halger. It's spelled H-O-L-G-E-R. Halger Rune. I think this is a tennis player. Is that your answer? Yes. He is a tennis okay, player. There we go. As you've won three straight. Okay. You're on a nice so little is run. Halger, is that what? German? Belgian? I don't know. Halger? Hmm. Oh, he's Danish. Danish. Okay. The Danes. All right, five and one. Is Ranked it Dane or is it Denmarkian? Eight. It's Dane, right? <laughs> I think it's Danish, yeah. Okay. Uh, week seven. Mojave King. To me, if you if King is your last name, you're a basketball player. That's my answer. Um, This guy is from New Zealand. He is a basketball player. There we go. Okay. Bang. You like my logic there? Uh, what are you looking at? Nothing. Don't oh. worry about it. Okay. okay. Well, why do you... you nothing needs like, to concern you. Okay. All right, fine. I well, the, yeah, the only thing that concerns me is that I got it right. Yeah, you did. And Congrats. now I'm better. Yeah. All right, six and one. I had to change up my next one. All right, week eight. <laughs> okay. Taylor Fritz. Fritz. Now, the question here becomes... Is Fritz funny enough to qualify him to be Wimbledon player? Or is it too basic? <laughs> He's just a basketball player. Why would that be funny? I don't know. Fritz is a funny name. Is I it? Yeah, I think if your name is Fritz, okay. that's funny. So for that reason, this guy's a Wimbledon player. Locking it in. He is a Wimbledon player. Bang! Let's go! You can't fool me, Derek. You're on a heater. Six I'm, straight. I'm, I, you know, I, yeah, I'm locked in now. All right, week nine. Seven and one. Undefeated in conference play. The horses, the Kentucky Derby horses one was really tough. Yeah. These are a little bit easier. Maxime Crossy. Crossy. <laughs> okay. This is a funny name. I am going to say. Maxime Cressy. Oh, Cressy. Must be Cressy. So like messy, but Cressy. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Not, but it's not spelled like that at all. Okay. <laughs> I think this guy's a Wimbledon player also. Wimbledon. He is a Wimbledon player. Mm, that's cool. All right, you're eight and one. I'm so good. Back to back, Natty Tamps. Here we come. You are. All right, this is a big one. Last three games of the season. If you win just one more, you clinch a spot in your conference championship. So oh, okay, you have at nice. least that to look yeah, forward to. Nice, nice. Are we ten? Ben Shelton. Oh boy. Okay, so Ben Shepard was an NBA player. Yes. So that makes me think that you're trying to trick me here by giving me another Ben, boring Ben, that it's another NBA player. So I'm going to say that he's a Wimbledon player. He is a Wimbledon player. You can't fool me, baby. All right. Nine and one. You're on a a roll. Week 11. Ben Shelton. Liam Robbins. Okay. This is the first real toss-up, I feel like. This could go either way. This is a rivalry game toward this the end of the This is a rivalry game towards the end of the I mean, this is tough. Liam Robbins? <laughs> I just got to be honest. If your name is Liam, I don't see you playing basketball. I think this is another Wimbledon guy. Give me Wimbledon. What? That's incorrect. Do? What? He's a basketball Liam player? Liam Robbins, a basketball player from Vanderbilt. You need to watch more SEC basketball, man. Dude. I watched exactly three seconds of <laughs> Vanderbilt basketball. 
you're you're in about a similar spot to where you were last last season too. Yeah, nine and two. Nine and two. Yeah, got to win out and hope for the favor of the uh, tournament <laughs> committee. But losing that late in the season, man, I don't know. Dude, All right, week twelve. Liam is not a basketball name. I'm sorry. Week twelve. Get a new job. Play a different sport. Taylor Funk. Wow, this is another tough one. Funk. That's got to be Wimbledon. That your answer? Yes, Wimbledon. He is also a basketball player. There's no way his name is Funk, and he's a basketball Play player? Play for Utah State. Three-point shooter. That yeah. is a rough one. The fans are now irate. <laughs> They're like 9-1. and one. We were going to win a title. You lost two straight. You lost your rival in That's the last tough. game of the year. No, that is, yeah. They're mad at you. Bad, They're mad at you. Bad way to end the year. Going right, to a bowl, though. You're still going to your conference championship, actually. Oh, nice. Okay, You still yeah. have a chance to, you know, okay. do that. Hell yeah. All right, Alex Fudge. <laughs> okay, again, if we're sticking with the logic we've been rolling with this whole time, Fudge is just not a Wimbledon name. It's just not. I'm sorry. I think Alex Fudge is a basketball player. Alex Fudge is a basketball player from Florida. Okay, here we go. All right, 10 and 3. You're going to New Year's Six Bowl because you won your conference title. title. Hey, that's back to back conference champs. That's right. By the way, and going to another New Year's Six Bowl. So I'm going to, like, what, the Orange Bowl? Or the Peach Bowl? What am I going to? Um, New Bowl. We just invented. You're going to the uh, the Cheese It Extreme Bowl. R- no, Bowl. you're going to the Goldfish Bowl. You like Goldfish. Okay, I do like Goldfish. There you go. That's a goldfish good one to be bowl. In. Yeah. But that, see, but that implies that the Goldfish are in a like an actual bowl. Like, not a bowl game. Like, an actual fish bowl. <laughs> All right. Bowl game. Cam Nori. There's not even anything to go off of this with this one. <laughs> Cam Nor- What? What is well, that? Well, he goes by Cam instead of Cameron. I don't know if that helps you or hurts you in any way. It does not help me at all. Okay. <laughs> to be honest. Doesn't help. I think this is... I'm going Wimbledon. I'm going Wimbledon. He's a Wimbledon player. Cam Nori is a Wimbledon player. Yes! That's Bang. a good finish for you. You lose two straight. You win the title. You win a New Year's Six. game champ. I don't want to hear it from the fans. Look at the results that we bring mm. to this fan You've still base. never been number one in the AP poll, though. I don't care. Fans, okay. the fans are just, they're, they're whiny babies is what they are. <laughs> That's not going to okay? endear you with them. The fans, they, mm. they're just never satisfied. I mean, look at what I'm doing to these to, for this program. And all they want to do is complain? Mm-hmm. No. You can, I don't care, man. He's Nick Springer. That's my post-game presser. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on KLWN. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Get to some NBA draft talk in a second here. But first, uh, KU with some updates on the football stadium build. And also, this news from the NCAA uh, from earlier today, according to Matt Norlander, Will Wade, who the was the former LSU coach when he got in trouble with this so stuff. I where think is now, he at now? He's at McNeese State. Oh, yeah, I did know yeah. that, actually. I didn't he know. has received a two-year show cause for recruiting. And a 10-game suspension. Um, I don't huh. know what exactly the recruiting... Like, does that just mean he can't recruit? I would think that's... Yeah. So he just can't go out on the recruiting trail? I Can would he think not so. call people? Can he just not be in person? Oh, dude. Listen, I've been to Lake Charles. It's a, it's an interesting place, to say the least. And if I couldn't recruit and had to stay there... Okay, yeah. It says no off-campus recruiting-related activities during any applicable April or summer evaluation. No recruiting conversations between there's a couple different dates. So, yeah, basically, he just has to let his assistant coaches recruit. Um, 
Okay. And then the the show cause part means that if you were to go to another school, it would carry with him, not be on the school. It would be with him. And then the 10-game suspension. That, for someone who... He was caught on the wiretaps talking even more than what was caught with KU <laughs> stuff. And this is... You might be wondering, because if you remember, KU had five level one violations issued against them. Uh, the IRP found LSU to have four level one violations with two more level two and two more level three transgressions. So this is a pretty close to equivalent to what KU was facing, and it ended up with a 10-game coaching suspension and two-year show cause with with recruiting. If you remember, KU self-imposed recruiting sanctions, which applied to like last summer. They had four-game suspensions for Bill Self and Curtis Townsend. They're having scholarship reductions, and I think they had a couple other things as part of it that were uh, a little smaller details as part of the self-imposed sanctions, which doesn't seem like that different of a level of punishment than, than what you know, Will Wade is kind of getting here. So, like, I mean, do you think the RIP would say you need to, Bill Self needs to take an extra, an extra games? two games this year or something? Yeah, an extra couple games. And if that's all that comes out of it at this point, I think you're totally cool with it if you're that's Kansas, fine. right? Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of KU fans, myself included, have reached the stage of, dude, just make a <laughs> just ruling. Right? I don't even care anymore. Well, and to I'm your point, tired of fighting. This is the, the good news out of this. KU is now the only school left in the IARP. Oh, thank God. Oh, wow. Fantastic. So they have awesome. to be next. They have to be they, next. Yes, they literally, what else could they possibly be doing? They have nothing else to do. This is the only case left that you've waited 20,000 years to do. I mean, there were still dinosaurs alive when this case came out. What, I mean, what are we doing? Well, there's good news. So the idea of okay, it coming out at some even, point I mean, in the summer. I guess that's good news. I don't know. Well, it's good news that no, we'll hear an answer. It's bad news because now if they're going to continue to take five more years, there's no reason for it to take that much longer. Fair point. Okay, uh, how about some updates about the Kansas football stadium? This is from the LJ World. An outside consultant hired by the University of Kansas is recommending that the school shrink the size of its stadium to 39,838 seats to accommodate new facilities as part of its gateway project. Uh, right now, they're sitting around 47,000, somewhere in that range. They were up above 50, and then the... Yeah, the Jeff Long project. Yeah, knocked it down, 5,000, 6,000. I don't even know what to call it besides <laughs> just the Jeff Long project. I think people know what you're referring the, to. The field goal club or whatever. So this would knock it down even further, which I, I don't fine. really... That's fine. I, yeah, I don't really have a problem if it's a little bit smaller. You get a more intimate environment. Like, yeah, I'm okay as long that. as... If, you're better off filling out a stadium that's smaller than not filling out a stadium that's bigger. So, you yeah, know, I'm, I don't mind. I'm fine with that. Uh, I did have somebody reach out to me about the idea that, and, and this could be one negative, if there's less seats to give out, less tickets to sale, sell in theory that ticket prices are going to go up, and that's never great to you know yeah. families and stuff like that. Pricing so you out, hope that doesn't happen. Out the lower budget folks. Right, right. But at the end of the day, I'm not overly concerned with that. Here's what I find to be interesting and a little bit annoying. Um, we, we heard from Travis Goff, I don't know, a year, year and a half ago, something like that. I don't know, maybe it was less than that, actually. Uh, about, I, don't think, I don't think it was that long. Yeah, actually, I think it was like probably eight, nine well, months no, ago. Well, no, didn't he give? Remember, he gave the whole. It was press during the KU football season. It was right? a, it was in, during college game day. That's right. It was the so, week, yeah. It was the week the college game day was in town. So eight, nine months. He, he like gave that, a little press right? conference. Yeah, and he basically talked about how they wanted to make it like this overall facility. Like basically, we didn't get like a straight answer. I I remember one of the things he mentioned was having doctors' offices. Yeah, he wanted to make um, it like a like a full. I almost envisioned like an outlet mall. Uh, yeah, like a or shopping like a, mall or, or center. You know, I was envisioning it more like, you know how like big companies have like 
campuses of like yeah. all this stuff. That's kind of what I was envisioning. Like, where there's so restaurants, like, yeah, there's shops, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where there's doctors' like, offices. You don't really have to ever leave. There's a conference center. So like, I know that is so something like they talk about. If you're part of the about. football team, you can just basically, like, you don't ever have to, sure. everything you need is right there. Well, as part of that, it would feature a 2,500-seat concert and event venue for the stadium near 11th in Mississippi. And because of that, the entire surface parking lot and grassy area immediately east of the stadium, so the side of the stadium that's closer to like the, the union, would be eliminated, which is very interesting because that is where a majority of the tailgates take place. That is where a majority of people park. The, the opposite side, the west side of the stadium, that's more like parent parking, uh, reserve type of parking. Okay, and so... When you look at, like, here, okay, I have a bit of a problem with this for a couple of reasons. One, there's already limited parking. Like, think about how many people end up parking on, I don't know, like, 7th and Michigan okay. or something. And they have to walk all the way in. I, now there's even going to be less of those those spots. I, and I that's where honest. a lot of the tailgating, I don't know, man. Can I just be honest? Yeah. Parking is going to be bad no matter what, period. You just got to accept it. The, the quicker you this accept that parking worse. is going to be bad, the happier you'll be with your life. But do you realize how many That's parking spots are in you know that lot? You never worries about parking? Me. I just walk around, and I'm like, all right, parking's going to be bad, whatever. And then that's it. That's it. I just live my life, I don't and know, I'm man. not worried about parking. I, if you're complaining about parking, I don't know. But it's the tailgating it's, aspect, too. It's the tailgating aspect, too. Okay. The other thing is, am I an idiot? Or why wouldn't you just do the event stuff in the stadium? What's the whole 2500 yeah. Bull no, that, BS that, so that's, thing. that's something that doesn't also make sense to me. And it's I'm like, confused by that. It's like, okay, if if the reason you have to get rid of that lot in the grass area is because something with the stadium forces it to move out that way, then I understand that. Well, but the reason that you're getting rid of it is to add this like 2,500 seat concert yeah, I'm, I'm venue. Confused by that. I'm Just confused do by the that. concert in the stadium yes. or one of the other great places hey, we have on mass. Hey, KU, I've got recommendations. Hire me. As an outside consultant, right. I can give you some recommendations. And so at that point, my first recommendation: don't do yeah, that. It's just, it's just silly to me. And and obviously there are other solutions. You can still tailgate on the hill, and you know people will find their ways, but there won't be as much Dude, of it. And as a as a veteran hill hill tailgater, me, it's it's a hill. You can't play cornhole. It's all lopsided. You can't. I mean, you can't. There's stuff you can't do on the hill. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's a hill. Um. Well, it's just. And it'd be one thing, too, if it was like, hey, we're getting rid of this parking lot, but we're going to build a parking lot right over here. Well, part of the story, cannot, there's nowhere exactly, to build. it said parking must still be determined. Construction of parking garages on campus are likely to get consideration. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so basically, yeah, th this is what sucks. Because think about it. invent flying cars. Well, okay. So fly in. To me, and then fly the car when out. I think about the KU diehards, the KU fans who have been showing up through all the crap. Through all the bad years, There's not very many of them. They're not, but they're a lot there. of those people. And we love them. We're parking in that parking lot. We're tailgating in that parking lot, and to get rid of that for some doctors' offices and random shops and a twenty-five hundred person concert. Honestly, I think it sucks. I'm not going to worry about it because these are the preliminary, preliminary, preliminary renderings that are going to change about uh, probably two dozen times before they actually decide whatever the hell they're going to do. So, nah, I'm not going to get too upset right now. Okay, well, that's fine. I'm starting to get annoyed. That's all I'll say. I'm starting to get annoyed with some of the things that... So you're pre-annoyed. I'm pre-annoyed. I'm annoyed by all this stuff that has happened. Now I'm mad. I'm annoyed by all these Friday games. I'm annoyed by the Mexico thing. I'm annoyed by this. I'm annoyed by Dude, why the can't no you tailgating. Dude, I don't know. Just be happier. I wish. What, I mean, listen. Oh, the parking crap, I get it. But at the end of the day, 
any stadium you go to, literally anywhere, parking sucks. So just but any just, stadium you go to, you can park your- right by the stadium. <laughs> you can't park right by the stadium if they're getting rid of that. Well, they the have other the, side. Well, I am so I'm so annoyed by this. I'm, so, I'm not annoyed at you. I'm not mad at you. I am so annoyed by this, and that there's Dude. never a thought about the normal person. It's all about how can we make extra money. I, I it's it's frustrating. There, there has been a lot of there has been a lot of uh, money making things happening with KU lately. I will say that, like the the moving to Illinois game to Friday, only about the money, only about the the eyeballs. The Mexico thing. The Mexico thing's more Brett Yormark, I guess. But KU was clearly fine with it. I mean, KU volunteered for it. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, they were clearly fine with it. So I don't know. But at, again, it's these are these are the preliminary drawings or renderings, whatever the hell. That's going to change a lot of times. That's all I'm saying. So you know, I get it. It can be frustrating. It's all good. Okay. All right. Um. <laughs> Gonna be happy. Gonna be happy here. We have hey, another just, NBA draft you know, profile. My dad always says, "Keep your happy thought." Okay, don't lose well, the happy thought. This will make me happy. I love hearing these NBA draft profiles. These are always good. They're always informative. They're always well, they're very uh, informative. Know, very informative. All right, yes. we have one final player. We send it back to Joel. Jablunda Smithson. A former weightlifter, Jablunda Smithson is one of the strongest prospects in the draft. He has deadlifted 900 pounds, has thrown a Prius into a dumpster, and has deflated multiple basketballs in game situations when blocking the opposition's shot. Smithson's pure power is enticing, and at six foot seven and 400 pounds of pure muscle, a team is hoping he can be what Zion Williamson hasn't been. Unlike Williamson, Smithson hates eating food, opting only for protein shakes and a goop that he gets IV'd into his bloodstream. His lack of finesse, jump shooting, and hatred of the phrase, calm down, has teams considering whether he's a draft and stash candidate or one worthy of a contract right away. Hmm. So where, where would you take him? I mean, perfect small ball five. I he literally deflates basketball. That's how hard he blocks them. Yeah, but if he's going up against Victor Wembanyama, Wembanyama can just shoot over him. But then he can just go through Wembanyama. It's the ultimate matchup. I, I don't know. I don't. I Did don't love ever, this pick. Do you remember the uh, highlights from when? Uh, you remember the Kenny Lofton guy from? I think that's his name, Kenny Lofton, right? I don't he went to Louisiana name. Tech, um, and now he he was like I don't know. He might have been G League MVP this past year. Um, Kenny Lofton Jr. He is a like six foot. I don't know, six foot six. Man, is that not he his looks, name? He looks pretty thick. Yeah, dude, he's a big dude. And there's this like has, highlights. This has to be the guy that you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, it has to be. Uh, look up later tonight. Look up Kenny Lofton versus Victor Weminyama. Lofton goes for like 20, 10, and 10. He's like 6'6", 300 pounds or something. It's incredible. And Weminyama ends up yeah. going for like Wikipedia, 22, 15, and 5 in the game. Wikipedia claims that he's 276, but I'm, I don't know <laughs> that I'm buying that. Yeah, dude. And so this guy just like went off against... Um, Wembenyama, even though again, Wembenyama was really when, good when too. When did they played against each other? It was it was not this year. It was like the year before. Um, yeah, Wembenyama had twenty two eight and eight blocks, which is uh, pretty incredible. And uh, Lofton wound up with sixteen point seven rebounds, two assists, to lead USA to a gold medal win in the U nineteen FIBA title a year ago. Oh, that sucks. So Wembenyama lost. Oh, that sucks. Well, but but what I'm saying is, like, you have the the recipe is there. Like, you can have some success. <laughs> That's interesting for sure. 
Okay, so the NBA draft is tonight, and beyond uh, Jablunda Smithson. I would not take Jablunda Smithson. No, you wouldn't. Well, Grady Dick. I would take the other guys, but not him. Mm. Grady Dick could be going anywhere in that lottery range. Jalen Wilson, maybe in that late first to early second round pick. Yeah. Um, I'm really excited to see, um, I guess, if if, if Jalen can sneak into the first round, I think that would be a really really cool cool. story. Yeah. Get that guaranteed contract. With Grady Dick, you're almost just, I mean, with both these guys, it's, it's the case, but I think especially with Grady because we've seen enough, you know, lottery picks from Kansas end up in just bad circumstances. Yeah. Um, you're just looking for Grady to go to a good circumstance. Yeah, I think the it seems like to me the kind of the consensus of people that where they think Grady would be the best is with the Orlando Magic because of Jalen Suggs and it and also Paulo Bancaro and it feels like the Orlando Magic might actually be maybe potentially sort of kind of possibly building something that's not terrible like they have for the past like <laughs> forever. So I think that would probably be a good spot for him, I would say. Or maybe the Dallas so. Mavericks. That'd be a good one. Mm-hmm. Get another shooter around Luka. Um, with the Magic, they have two top 11 picks. Yeah. Oklahoma City, like they're, they're building something there, and, and they have all these guys who are just gigantic, like get another shooter cool, out there. You know, that's obviously, that's only, nearby. Yeah, it's only two hours from Wichita. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Nick Collison connection, right? Um, with with Jalen Wilson, uh, it's hard to predict or, or narrow a certain team because when you are in the late first, early second range, like it's just there's so many possibilities that you can go to. But it's not just for Jalen that it'd be cool if he can be a late first because you get the guaranteed contract part of it. Yeah. But if he goes in the late first, assumedly you're going to a good team. And I think that would True. benefit him the most of being a role player on a good team because he is such a winner. Yeah, I thought Shreyas put it pretty much perfectly earlier in the show when we interviewed him with Jalen Wilson. And, and we've we've talked about this too. The idea that Jalen Wilson does a lot of things really well, but in the NBA, especially when you're looking at getting the draft, NBA teams like to see, like to see a guy that is like really elite at one thing. And Jalen doesn't necessarily really have that one thing that he's really, really elite at. He's like he's really good at a lot of stuff, and he's definitely a winning player. But he's not like you know what I mean. Like he's not. And when you look when you in the NBA when you draft off potential a lot, you like to see a guy who is really, really good at one thing. Mm-hmm. For Which sure. Is like that's kind of BS that it hurts him. But yeah, and it's not always the case. Like sometimes, actually, to his credit, guys who have been jack of all trades. Have actually like that. No, that's they, they end up well, being right? more valuable. Right, like when they get to the NBA. But in terms of the draft, they don't always get rewarded yes. for that by getting drafted higher. One hundred percent. If you do enough things like just well, and you're not like bad at anything, which I that kind of does apply to Jalen. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. Sometimes that can be a role play. It's like either be elite at one thing or just be not bad at anything. Because the guys who you really see end up causing them is that there's one area that they can get exploited in, and maybe you could say there's something for Jalen like the athleticism, but. I don't know, man. I I actually, I'll be honest. Like at the beginning of the draft process, I was like, I just don't know what Jalen's fit is with an NBA team. But the more I think about it, when you have a guy who works as hard as he does, he's a winning player. Exactly. He's got wing height. Winners win. Right. Really, that's all it comes down to. He'll find a way to stick on a roster. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We got more in the NBA draft with some Bill Self quotes uh, and audio coming up next. This is RCST. Thanks for listening to the best of RCST podcast. And a reminder, you can catch our show Monday through Friday from 3 to 6 live on KLWN in Lawrence, 101.7 FM, 1320 AM, or anywhere you're online at klwn.com or the KLWN app. Thanks for listening.